You are listening to episode 22 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 50, 10-volt orbital, February 1st, 2373. For two days, I chipped away at filling the cargo hold and watching my inbox, willing each new inbound message to be the endorsement. As each new priority cargo showed up in the available cargo's queue, I grabbed it. We could take 120 cubes of cargo and still keep an open path down the center line of the ship. 150 cubes would fill the hold solid. By 1600, I had amassed 117 cubes, representing 30 different shipments, and I was ready to call it quits. I needed to give the cargo dispatchers time to aggregate my shipments and get them ready to load in the morning. We needed to get underway for Diurnia, passengers or not, because we had priorities that were due on the other side of the quadrant. I stood and stretched just as a tentative knock sounded on the cabin door. Come. Miss Maloney opened the door and stepped in, her tablet in her hand. Captain, may I have a word? She kept her voice under a tight rein, and it showed in her face. Of course, Miss Maloney. I waved her into one of the two extra chairs. She closed the door carefully behind her and took the seat offering me her tablet as she did so. What do we have today? More photos? Yes, Skipper, but you're not the one in the spotlight this time. The image focused on Ms. Maloney, her head turned to speak to me. The facade of Labiftec was blurred but visible in the background. The emblazoned caption read, Morning Dove? That's not good, I said, looking at Ms. Maloney. Storms brewed behind her eyes, and she seemed less inclined to brush it off than before. Read the article, Captain she suggested in a cool, smooth voice that belied the look in her eye. I zoomed in to read the text. Classic tabloid speculation and innuendo. The author hinted at the eligible socialite who seems a long way from her cruise line and how recent losses appear to be healing rapidly. I was about to give it back when the line, Apparently our little morning dove is tired of eating her own cooking, choosing an upscale eatery for her first night import, seemed to jump off the screen at me. This is definitely not good, I said, and handed the tablet back. Well, I didn't do it, Captain, and I'm pretty sure you didn't. You don't suppose it's a shot in the dark? Somebody who knows who I am takes a random guess that I'm eating my own cooking aboard the ship, and they know I'm aboard a ship in spite of the civilian attire. She shot me one of the you-must-be-joking looks. Sounded weak to me, too, I said. She sat back and sighed, brow furrowed in concentration. I have to admit it's possible. Even a broken clock is right twice a day, so I suppose it's possible. She looked up at me, brandishing the tablet. This is awfully suspicious, though. I agree, but the question I have is whether or not it's enough to start accusing shipmates. I paused before adding, and whom? She bit her lip. Well, Andy Lehman knows, but he's unlikely to say anything. We talked about my being aboard and why. He and I go too far back and have too much history to play this kind of game. I'd hate to think Miss Arione would do it, I said. It pains me, but it's possible. I feel the same way about Chief Bailey, she admitted. We may have other issues with the Chief, I'm afraid. She frowned. What's the problem? He's not tending to his knitting here on the ship. Being your undercover bodyguard here is all well and good, but he's also my chief engineer and I need him to do that job. And he's not? I shrugged, my mouth twisting into a grimace. Just the bare minimum. The scrubbers were about two stands from catastrophic failure when I finally had to change the filters out myself because he'd left the ship and didn't respond to his tablet. She nodded slowly, 
and he claims he was in his compartment sleeping all day. He does, and I can't argue because I didn't look after Miss Arione said he'd gone ashore. I'm not sure I buy his story about returning while the cargo crew was unloading. Why not, Sark? She cocked her head, curious more than defensive. Miss Arione and I were both standing right there in the lock watching them unload. He'd have had to walk right by us and then go down the length of the cargo hold and through the door to engineering stores, all the while dodging cargo lifters, in the plain line of sight where Miss Arione and I were looking. Why couldn't he have slipped up the ladder? Because Miss Arione retracted the ladder to give the cargo lifters free access to the hold without having to worry about running into it. What about Perk? she asked, after a few heartbeats. He seems the most likely to me, but it may just be that I don't know him very well. He knows you're incognito on the ship. He asked about the difference between the name on your suit and the name we call you. But does he know who I am? she asked. All he knows is you're a Maloney. I have no idea if he realizes you're that Maloney. She snorted and gave me a strained smile. You say that like it's some kind of disease. I chuckled a bit and shook my head. Sorry about that, Miss Maloney, but you know what I mean. He knows your name, but does he know who you really are? I don't know. I don't know either but we probably need to call me Maitland while aboard, too, Captain. It was one thing when we had Andy here, but when we start getting random passengers? Do we need to vacate this quadrant, take the ship over to New Caledonia, even Gretna? She sat back and thought about it. It might help, but that's a long way to go for maybe. She sighed and shook her head. No, this is just an irritant. There's really nothing new or different here. I don't know why I've gotten the attention unless it's because I've been seen in public with the newest, most eligible bachelor in the quadrant. I nodded at her tablet. That's not about your being out and about with me, though. That's about your being off the ship and eating dinner. She frowned. You're right. If they were playing the who's the playboy flyboy playing with now angle, or even the heiress and the flyboy, they'd be playing up our being together, wouldn't they? She nodded slowly. I wonder why they're not. What do you mean? It's a perfect angle. They get to play all the money cards at once. But they're not. I looked at her, trying to figure out what she was driving at. Look, to them, you're the most eligible bachelor in the quadrant right now. Struck it rich, got a new company, the young clipper captain, all of it. You're a perfect target. And I'm the tragic heiress. Recently bereft of father, but likely to inherit the reins of the largest ship and company around. They may or may not know about the codicil and all of this, but I should still be worth some copy. Individually, we're okay as subject material, but we've had two or three photos that we've seen, starting all the way back on Diurnia, where we're together in the frame. I got it then, and they don't link us. She beamed. Exactly. Regardless of any kind of reality, that kind of fairy tale is prime territory for this kind of sensationalist junk. True or not, they don't care, because carefully worded, there's nothing we can do about it and the story. She shook her head in wonder. Gods, the who's sleeping with whom angle alone would be worth millions in revenues. Add the corporate skullduggery angle? Are you plotting to take over DST by pursuing the heiress apparent? Am I already working to expand the evil grip of DST on the throat of commerce by angling to blind you with my feminine wiles and hoodwink you out of your company? She paused to flutter her eyelashes at me vampishly before laughing and shaking her head again. No, this isn't adding up. We sat there and stared at each other for perhaps as much as a tick without speaking. It doesn't make sense because we're not seeing the full picture, I said at last. She nodded slowly in agreement. 
I think you're right, Captain. There has to be a reason. The Nusis are not stupid. Somebody knows exactly what they're doing, and it's not some silly oversight. It can't be. What benefit is there to highlight us individually? Is it the money angle? I shook my head. I don't even have the money yet. I don't know, Captain, and I don't think we can get very far on speculation. We need more information. You're right. I glanced at her tablet. How do you want to handle this? I don't know. Patching leaks was always father's job. Well, let's let it go for now. We'll be out of here tomorrow afternoon. Maybe we'll get more data points when we get back to Diurnia, and we can try to connect the dots to get a picture. She thought about it, but eventually shrugged. I don't see anything else, short of trying to engineer some kind of trap where we let each of the three in on something different, something we keep from the other two. If we make it juicy enough, then perhaps it'll get passed on, and we'd at least know where the leak is. Yeah, the trick would be to keep from cross-pollinating. I don't know how much Miss Arione talks to Mr. Herring. The chief doesn't seem to talk to anybody unless he's asked a direct question. Could we even pull it off? You're right. Shall we plan on working this out on the trip back to Diurnia, see what we can come up with? I shrugged. I doubt we're going to come up with anything before we get underway. Thanks, Captain. I appreciate the help and understanding. You're welcome, Miss Maloney. I'd feel a lot better if I knew what was going on, though. You and me both, Captain. You and me both. She headed for the door. Miss Maloney. Yes, sir. What are we going to do for dinner? Do you have something planned, or would you like to dine ashore tonight? It's the last night in port, and you won't have much choice until we dock again. She opened the door and stood in the frame for a moment while she thought. Do you suppose there's a decent Italian restaurant on this orbital, Captain? I'll find out, Miss Maloney. Would you pass the word to muster in the galley at 1800? She grinned. Aye, aye, skipper. She sounded almost jocular in spite of the news she'd just shared. With a snort of laughter at myself, I turned to the station net and dug into the local databases. I found three likely-looking establishments, but the one with the highest rating was the one on the O2 deck. I stood and crossed to the galley where I found Miss Maloney bent over with her head in the ready cooler. Lose your contact lens, Miss Maloney. She looked back over her shoulder with a grin. Just making sure there's something in here for those that miss out on dinner, Captain. Good planning, Miss Maloney. I found the restaurant, and looks like the O2 deck is our best choice. There are two others, but the highest-rated food is on the O2. Excellent. Shall we go in ship suits or civvies? Ah, let's go casual tonight. Aye, aye, sir. I think I have just the outfit. I filled a mug with fresh coffee and headed back to the cabin with a little wave. I didn't want to think about how much I looked forward to dinner, and how much I wanted it to be just Miss Maloney and me. I sighed and latched the cabin door behind me. Chapter 51, 10-Volt Orbital, February 1st, 2373. The restaurant, Angelo's Casa de Pasta, was not too far from the local dance club. Occasionally, we could hear the bass beat of the music reverberating through the sounds of dining. Even at that relatively early hour, patrons waited in line for a seat, and I looked to Ms. Maloney's lead for how much exposure she wanted to suffer. She seemed quite content to tuck herself into a corner against the wall and let the chief block the view as best he could by the simple expedient of standing in front of her. The line moved swiftly, and we were only outside for four or five ticks before we were able to slip inside the doors and stand in the lobby. In less time than I would have thought, we found ourselves up to our elbows in rich sauce, fresh and crispy salad, and hot breadsticks. We made no mention of the newest newsy coverage over dinner. If Ms. Maloney and I were a bit more restrained than normal, neither of our companions said anything. The chief seemed oblivious to everything except his plate, although 
I suspected he was just better at not being obvious in his watching. Miss Arione kept looking at me and then Miss Maloney, with a curious frown on her face between scans of the room. She made no comment, but I realized that we needed to deal with the problem of a spy in our midst. The corrosive effect threatened more than our privacy. Over the course of the meal, I admired Miss Maloney's ability to make small talk and keep up a cheerful demeanor. I found it difficult not to brood on the idea that one of the two bodyguards might turn out to be a threat. I still couldn't imagine what kind of threat all the gossip constituted. For that matter, I still didn't understand what the bodyguard culture was about. I could almost understand the late Jeff Maloney's need for protection. Given his role in the CPJCT and being the CEO, chief stockholder, and driving force behind DST, I didn't think that rival companies engaged in corporate assassination, and even kidnapping for ransom seemed beyond the pale. Neither Ms. Maloney nor I felt inclined to linger over cappuccino or dessert. Ms. Arione and the chief seemed happy enough to get out of the thronging, happily noisy crowd of diners and into the open. They led us directly out and down the docks on a beeline for the ship. I wondered what images would appear next and tried to keep an eye open for likely photographers. We were almost back to the ship when I noticed a trio of spacers stumbling along the docks ahead of us. A guy had a woman on each arm, and all three of them seemed a bit worse for wear. The woman on the right, black hair and a spacer buzz, was the tallest of the three, and the woman on the left, a blonde with stationer bob, was next. The short guy in the middle caught my eye for the unique color of his cropped hair. Isn't that Perk? Miss Arione asked quietly from behind me. Mr. Herring, I called, stopping suddenly and disrupting their order of march. He swiveled his grin in my direction. Captain! Hey, girls, that's my captain! I wasn't sure what kind of response to expect from the announcement. I wasn't sure the pair weren't taking him out to roll him, although after three days ashore I didn't imagine he had a lot of resources for them to steal. I wasn't ready for the relief that washed over their faces. You're really his captain? The woman on his left asked, hope in her eyes. Yeah, he's one of mine. Oh, good. Maybe you can take him, then? Take him? Yes, Captain. He's had a lovely time, I'm sure, but he really needs to go sleep it off a bit. The woman on his right hand giggled. Well, we had a lovely time, too. She looked across at her friend. Didn't we? The first one nodded back. Oh, yeah, but he's about dead on his feet. Aren't you, lovey? Mr. Herring nodded unevenly. Yeah, ready to bunk it, I think. He turned blurry eyes to his buxom companions and managed a credible leer, even in his condition. You ladies want to come tuck me in? They giggled a bit and looked at me a trifle guiltily. The one on the left patted his arm and said, Not tonight, lovey. Maybe another time, huh? Next time you come back to ten volt, huh? The two of them released his arms and held him up for a moment. When they let him go, he swayed, but seemed to stiffen a bit. The spokesman for the group nodded to me. Thanks, Captain. He's a good guy, but he needs to go home before he keels over. Thank you, miss, I said with a nod and a smile. They each gave a little wave and headed back down the docks toward the lift. Come on, Mr. Herring, let's get back to the ship, shall we? In a few ticks, we had him safely aboard and deposited in his bunk, clothes and all. I hoped he wouldn't make a mess before he sobered up. He didn't seem that far gone, having walked up the ramp and climbed the ladder under his own power, mostly. I clicked off the light and closed the door. When I got back to the cabin, I brought out my console and sealed the lock. It wouldn't open until I released the seal. It wouldn't stop anybody from sending messages, or embarrassing photos if they had any, but it would serve to keep the peripatetic members of the crew from wandering off again. We needed to get underway, and I could neither wait nor waste time searching the orbital seeking lost sheep when it came time to pull out. 
I pushed it all out of my mind and buried myself in neglected astrogation updates. I would need those before I could lay in the course for Diurnia. About 23.30, I wrapped it and felt better about the course plot. As first mate and then captain, somebody else always worried about the minutiae of astrogation for me. I had forgotten how much work it was and how much fun. As I stripped down to ship tea and boxers, I wished I felt as good about the course Miss Maloney and I should take with the crew. The idea that we would set them up did not seem exactly fair, but somebody was compromising Miss Maloney's security, and probably mine as well, by letting the newsies know where she was and what she was doing. On the one hand, I couldn't really think of what harm that might be doing. On the other, it seemed like a pretty clear violation of our trust. The two notions chased themselves around the inside of my head until I fell asleep. Unfortunately, when I woke the next morning, not only had I not resolved them, but I felt like I had been in there physically running around with them. When I peeled my eyes open for what felt like the twentieth time and saw the chrono read 0512, I declared it morning in my brain and crawled out of the bunk. A stinging shower woke me up a bit, and moving around got the blood flowing. I dug in my grav trunk for a fresh ship suit and clipped on an old, slightly tarnished pair of stars, the first pair I ever owned. I needed inspiration and hoped that Grandfather de Groot had some for me. Either way, we'd be underway by day's end and sailing for what I still considered home port. Crossing the passage to the galley, I saw Ms. Maloney already at work and smelled the aromas of bacon, coffee, and frying onions. She had the big griddle out and was working on a pile of potatoes and onions that looked big enough to feed three crews. Good morning, Ms. Maloney. Sleep well? I crossed to the urn and drew off a fresh mug. Closing my eyes, I sipped appreciatively. Not particularly, Captain. How about you? She glanced at me before running the heavy steel spatula through the potatoes and onions on the griddle again. About the same, but I got the course laid in. As soon as the car goes here, we're ready to sail. Any ideas on what we talked about last night, sir? I don't know. What's the most likely to attract attention? I'd hate to go through all that and not have the story picked up. She straightened up for a moment and looked at me, spatula held loosely in her hand. Sex, money, and violence. Any combination of those would work. Her mouth curled into a wry grin. Okay, we need to convince one of them that I'm sleeping with you, another that you're, what, buying the ship? She nodded, weighing them in her mind. Those might work. What about a third? She scraped the potatoes and onions around thoughtfully for a moment. How about we're conspiring to take over DST? Well, you are, aren't you? I asked. I mean, that's kind of the point of this exercise, isn't it? I flourished my cup around a bit. To get you in control of the company? Yes, but what if we're conspiring to do an end around and do a preemptive takedown of Jarvis? Can we do that? She looked at me with a grin. I don't know, Captain. Can we have a torrid affair? Are you planning on selling the ship to me? Oh. I felt a bit of a fool and sipped my coffee. Yeah. Okay, who do we tell what? She asked. Ms. Arione would find our affair most shocking. Chief Bailey would feel the same way about Jarvis. Okay, then, I said. We only have to convince Mr. Herring that you're about to buy my ship out from under me. Agreed, she said, tossing a pinch of salt over the mixture on the griddle. I stood there sipping and admiring her technique for a while, enjoying the silence and thinking about the voyage ahead. I'll be back, Miss Maloney. Make mine over easy, if you please. Aye, aye, sir. She shot me a smile and saluted with the edge of the spatula. I headed for the cabin. I needed to unseal the locks and get ready for the cargo delivery. It was also a good time to catch up on the logs, and the smell of that pile of potatoes and onions was making me drool down the front of my ship suit. Chapter 52 
10-volt orbital, February 2, 2373. The cargo crew showed up right at 0800, and at 0930 I buttoned the lock for departure. I'd planned to get underway at 1500, but securing the cargo early meant we could move that up a bit. I found the chief in the galley having a cup of coffee, and I had the odd feeling that I had interrupted a conversation between him and Miss Maloney, although they both greeted me easily enough. Chief, are we ready for space? Tanks topped off, engines warm? Oh, no, Cap. Tanks are good, sure, but the kickers are still cold. You want me to warm them up? I can do that. Of course I can. If you'd be so kind, Chief, I'd like to shake the dust off and head for Diurnia as soon as possible. Oh, I Cap. I'll go do that right now. See if I don't. With that, he stood, topped off his coffee cup, and ambled aft toward engineering. Moving up the departure, Captain. I think so. We'll need to see how fast he can warm up the engines, and I'll have to refile my departure request, but I'd like to get out of here as soon as we can. Any particular reason, Captain? Nothing to stay for. We've got the cargo. It's too late to take on any passengers now, even if the endorsement shows up. I followed the chief's example and refilled my cup. Will that hurt your mess plans, Miss Maloney? No, I've got a pot of minestrone soup today, sir. The restaurant last night was wonderful, and I thought it would make a nice reminder. We can eat that when we want. You're making more of your bread? She jerked a thumb at a large cloth-covered bowl in a corner of the work counter. Should be ready in time. Excellent. I smiled at her. Looking at her puttering about in the galley, I had a hard time thinking of her as the new CEO of DST. You think you can stick this out for a whole stand here, Miss Maloney? She picked up a side towel and wiped her hands on it while she considered the question, looking around the galley before looking back at me. Yes, sir, I think so. Good, because this is some of the best food I've had anywhere, underway or ashore. She smiled her thanks with a nod of her head. Another thought crossed my mind. Did the chief offer any explanation about leaving you stranded for the day? She shook her head. He asked for the time to stretch his legs. He wanted to make sure I wasn't planning on going ashore. I told him to go and take all the time he needed. I snorted. Yes, well, he took me at my word, apparently. I think I need to be a little more specific from now on. Is he competent? I've always thought so, she said. I've never been troubled when he's with me. What about when he's not with you? She gave me a baleful stare. And when would that be, Captain? What about the night out you had with Miserioni? She thought about that for a moment. You know, that was fun. She smiled at the memory. And I made her stop all that cloak and dagger stuff. And? I asked. Were you bothered? No. She shook her head and added, But that's the nature of it. Just because we weren't bothered that night doesn't mean we wouldn't have been the next. Doesn't mean you would, either, I pointed out. What's happened to cause all this fear? It's just the way we do business, Captain. I still say it's elephant repellent. Elephant repellent, Captain? There are no elephants out here. I arched an eyebrow. Oh, she said, but I could see she was thinking about it. I considered Mr. Paul and his insistence on pirates, staring dumbly into my mug before I remembered I needed to adjust my course plots and file for a new departure time. If we go to navigation stations at 1100, will that get in the way of lunch, Miss Maloney? Yes, although I can shift it. I shook my head. Never mind, I'll ask for 1300 slot. That'll give the chief time to heat up the kickers and we can eat before we pull out. That sounds good, Captain. I toasted her with my mug and farewell and headed up to the bridge to make sure everything would be in order for departure. The rest of the morning ticked down without incident and I even managed to catch up on my paperwork. I think part of it was avoidance. I just did not want to think about the levels of intrigue. Dealing with paperwork, writing up log entries, that was all much easier. 
At noon, Ms. Maloney opened the lunch mess, and our long-absent Mr. Herring dragged himself to the galley for some sustenance. He moved slowly and carefully, but I had to admit he did not look as bad as I thought he should have. I admired his youthful vigor. "'You look like you had fun on ten-volt, Perk,' Ms. Arione teased. "'Do you remember any of it?' He grinned tentatively and glanced around the table, as if not too sure how much he should say in mixed company, officers being present and all. "'I think I remember most of it. It kind of blended together after a while, and I didn't sleep much.' "'Do you remember the pair we found you with?' she asked. "'Oh, yes, Bets and Anna. Nice women. We, um—' He looked around, and I could see him editing his planned remarks. Slowly, but at least he made the effort. We danced a lot. They introduced me to a few of the regulars in port, some of the locals. There's a lot of people on the local run between Foxclaw, Kazyanenko, and here. We saw all you one night coming out of a restaurant. Danced a lot? Ms. Arione looked skeptical. He might have blushed a bit. As hungover as he was, it was a bit difficult to tell. He didn't say anything, just offered a small shrug. Horizontal mambo, probably, Ms. Arione muttered into her soup and Ms. Maloney laughed once before regaining her composure. Something Mr. Herring said set me off. We, Mr. Herring. Sar? You said we saw you all one night. Who's we? Oh, I don't know who all saw. Bets and Anna for sure, but there was a pack of us most of the time. Where did you see us, Mr. Herring? Oh, up on deck seven, eight, maybe. I'm not sure. We were sitting at one of those cafes having a few... Uh, that is... He looked around, trying to decide where to go for dinner. Miss Maloney hid a small smile, but her eyes never left Herring. And you saw whom, Mr. Herring? I asked again. Oh, well, it was you, Captain, and Miss Maloney. He nodded at her. He looked at the chief, but then at Miss Arione. And Miss Arione. That's pretty good remembering for something that happened so long ago, Mr. Herring. Well, they were all excited to see you, sir. The party you were with, Mr. Herring. Yes, sir. When they saw you come out of the restaurant, one of the locals, a guy, Sammy, Sandy, he shrugged. I'm not sure which. He pointed you out, and everybody was calling you Fly Boy. He grinned. You earned me a few drinks that night. I did. You did, sir. I told him right out that you were Captain Ishmael Wong, sir. They seemed to know already and were impressed that I knew you and the names of the rest of the crew. Really? I said beginning to get a very bad feeling where this conversation was going. And you pointed out Miss Arione. Oh, yes, sir. He turned to her and winked. A couple of the guys thought you looked pretty nice, too. And who did you say she was? I asked with a nod to Miss Maloney. Oh, well, I told them that was our cook, Miss Maitland. And did they believe you? Well, sure, Captain. They even took some pictures of you through the window. Miss Maloney and I shared a look and sighed. Where'd you meet them? Bets and Anna, I asked. Oh, they were just walking ahead of me on the dock when I left the ship, sir. We all wound up in the lift heading down to the O2. He grinned shyly. Anna said I was cute. Miss Maloney just shook her head and sighed. Out of the mouths of babes. Oh, they were fun enough, Miss Maloney, but I wouldn't call them babes, Mr. Herring said with a grin. It was so unexpected I laughed, and so did Miss Maloney. I don't know if I laughed because of his comment or from the relief. Miss Arione looked at us like we were crazy. I turned to the chief and asked my traditional questions. Are we ready for space, chief? Oh, aye, cap, we're ready to fly. Tanks topped and spares loaded? Aye, cap, tanks are top. See if they're not, spares are full. The kickers are hot and the generators are on safety standby, sir, aren't they? Sure they are. 
Well then, Miss Maloney, do we have stores and supplies sufficient to our voyage? We do, Captain. Stores and supplies are full and ready for space. I looked around the table. Anybody know any reason why we shouldn't go? They all grinned back at me. Well then, what are we waiting for? By 12.50, we'd cleared the table and stowed the leftovers, so I called the crew to navigation stations and put Ms. Arione on the piloting station. Ms. Maloney took her customary seat in front of the consoles, and I took the engineering chair while the chief worked in engineering. At 1300, traffic control sent us the go. I released the docking clamps. Miss Arione pushed us out on maneuvering jets, and we skated smoothly back, made our orientation turn, and grabbed the beam. By 1330, we cleared local traffic, and I secured the navigation detail, freeing Miss Maloney to go finish lunch cleanup, and Mr. Herring to get a few stands of sleep before taking the watch at 1800. In under two weeks, we'd be back on Diurnia. I sat with Ms. Arione on the bridge while we cruised out to the safety threshold and walked her through the process of raising the sails. As we got the fields trimmed, her smile transformed into a grin. So what do you think, Ms. Arione? It's a long way from the brig. She shot me an amused look. It is that, Captain. She paused and checked her console again. And Captain? She turned to look at me. Thank you. You're welcome, Miss Arione. We sailed along in silence for a time before I asked, Why do you think I need a bodyguard, Miss Arione? It seemed like you'd need somebody to keep the gold diggers at bay, Sar. When we left the Agamemnon, you were heading off to be the orbital's most eligible bachelor. And you looked out for me. I talked to Miss Thomas and Mr. Wyatt about you, and they seemed to think you needed some help, too. Did they put you up to it? I asked, more curious than anything. Oh, no, Sar. I went to them about going with you because I felt bad about leaving them short-handed. I thought maybe they'd talk me out of it. They didn't, though, did they? No. They seemed to think it was a good idea. We rode for a while. Then she added, Miss Thomas said she thought you'd need somebody to take care of. She looked at me sideways. I thought that was funny because I thought you needed somebody to take care of you. You've done a good job, Miss Arione. I saw her smile in the dim light at the bridge. Thank you, sir. She looked back at her console. So have you. I sighed. With less than two months left on the note, I knew I needed to do a lot better. Thanks, Miss Arione. It's good to hear. A few ticks later, an incoming message bipped into my tablet. I opened it to find my small craft steward's endorsement. I doubted that it would be enough, but I hoped that it would help. Good news, Skipper? Looks like we'll be having guests aboard in the future, Miss Arione. I hope they're all as nice as Dr. Lehman. Me too, Ms. Arione. Me too. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artist. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.